When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the new season of the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. It's season three. Amazing. I never thought that I would get this far. Honestly, when I started the show, I thought I'd probably do it for, I don't know, six to eight months and then just get tired of it. But it really is one of the coolest things I've ever experienced. It's given me a chance to read the last few Legends novels to finish out the timeline. You know, sort of a little push. I've owned them. I just haven't read them. I can also reread some really fun stories in Legends. And of course, some not-so-fun stories in Legends. But most of all, I've gotten to interact with so many awesome Star Wars fans. Some who love Legends, others who don't really have much exposure to Legends and are looking to learn new things in Star Wars, and there's others who aren't really interested in Legends but just want to talk Star Wars overall. All told, the show has had more than 133,000 downloads so far. Thank you listeners so, so much. It's unbelievable. I Honestly, can't thank you enough. Now, we move forward into season number three. And for the first episode of the season, I'm going to head back to the prequel era, to just before the events of The Phantom Menace. It's Cloak of Deception by James Luceno, a story of greed and corruption. When Jedi Master Qui-Gon Jinn and his Padawan Obi-Wan Kenobi investigate a terrorist attack against the Trade Federation, they discover a plot to strike at the heart of the Republic to assassinate Chancellor Valorum. And we'll get to that in a few moments. But first, it's listener question time. Today's email comes from Riker. That's a very cool name. Riker says, I listen to your podcast at work all the time. What are your plans after you cover all the Legends books? Well, thank you very much for the email, Riker. I get this question pretty often now with the show gaining popularity. My honest answer? I have no idea. I've gotten about a dozen emails from people asking me to start reading the books in Star Wars canon. And it's not like that I can't do that. I read canon stories all the time for fun. So that's a maybe. I've had one or two people ask me to do the Legends comics. Now, I doubt I'll do that. Not because I think comics are bad or anything. 
I know tons of people who love the Legends comics. Tons of people who love the canon comics. But as I've said before on the show, personally, I just have a difficult time reading comics. There's a disconnect for me between the story that I'm reading on the page and the artwork that I'm seeing. And it makes it tough to understand for me at times. Now, I've thought about turning the show into a Star Wars discussion show. And, you know, that could be fun. Just talking about the Star Wars stuff going on, whether it be TV, movies, books, whatever. But there are hundreds of those podcasts now. Some excellent shows. I listen to some. You probably listen to some too. So that could be cool. But if I did that, would this show get lost in the static? You know, what would my niche be? So that would be difficult. But again, it's something I'm thinking about. Most likely, unless I could come up with a good idea to carve out my own little corner of the Star Wars podcast universe, I'll probably just end the show. Now, let me be clear to Riker and all the other listeners. I want to continue the podcast after I'm finished the Legends books, which I was looking the other day that should run me through the end of 2027. I want to continue the podcast beyond that, but I need to find a niche. If I can't do that, then honestly, there's really no reason to continue the show. But let's not think about that now. Let's get excited for the start of Season 3 of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. It's going to be an exciting year for the podcast. First off, you're going to hear more guest voices on the show this year. I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but I'm going to have more people on here. Now first, I'm trying to set up another listener question show for April or May. And I hope to have some other guests on here when I get to the New Jedi Order. It's a series of 19 books. You know, probably the biggest, most famous publishing initiative in the Legends timeline. And it's very, very polarizing. A lot of people love the New Jedi Order series. And a lot of people absolutely hate it. I think it'd be interesting to get more voices on the show during that time so we can hear more perspectives. People who enjoy what's going on in the New Jedi Order and from people who disagree with some of the things going on in the book series and can articulate why it doesn't work for them. Now, if you want to see the schedule for year three, it's up on the show's Twitter page. Just check out my pinned tweet at Legends Lounge One. Thank you very much for the question, Riker. Now, if you'd like to contact the show, please email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And if you'd like to get your voice on the show, just record a short message and email it in. Just please record it in MP3 or MP4 audio format. That helps me out a lot. Now, it's time for today's book, Cloak of Deception by James Luceno. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge.
The story begins above the planet Dorvala. The Trade Federation is dealing with a mid-rim protest faction called the Nebula Front. Originally, the group wanted Coruscant to recognize that the Trade Federation was extorting the planetary sectors outside the Core Worlds. So far, those cries have fallen mostly on deaf ears. Now some of the more militant members of the Nebula Front have taken upon themselves to fight back. They've hired Captain Arwen Cole and his mercenary team to attack the Trade Federation ship Revenue in orbit above Dorvala. The mercenaries infiltrate the ship and split into two groups. Cole leads the team to steal a haul of Arrhodium ingots worth billions of Republic credits, while the second team heads off to set explosives throughout the ship. During the raid, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi arrive. Qui-Gon's been hot on Cole's trail for a while. The Jedi don't announce their presence, but sneak aboard the Trade Federation ship. They track the mercenaries, trapping the explosives team, but they're unable to keep Cole's team from escaping. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan chase Cole away from the Trade Federation ship, but lose him and the Erodium ingots when the ship explodes. Following the attack, the Trade Federation petitions the Senate to allow them to raise their own droid army. Chancellor Valorum has opposed the petition to this point, but now it seems he's willing to consider it. Valorum discusses it with Senator Palpatine from Naboo, a mid-rim planet directly affected by the Trade Federation. Valorum says the Republic needs to address the continued attacks by pirates and mercenaries along the free trade routes. Without its own military forces, Valorum says the Republic can't police those routes. Maybe it's time to allow the Trade Federation to do it. Palpatine debates both sides without committing to either. He suggests that if the Senate was to allow the Trade Federation to raise an army, they should tax the trade routes to offset the costs. The proposals set off a string of debates in the Senate Hall, eventually leading to Palpatine suggesting a trade summit on the mid-rim planet Iriadu. The militant wing of the Nebula Front decides to attack the trade summit. The leader of the militants, a man calling himself Havoc, hires Cole to assassinate Chancellor Valorum. Cole travels the Outer Rim and hires his assassination team, giving the Nebula Front some distance. Located near Iriadu in the mid-rim lies the Asmiru system. Asmiru is the home of the Nebula Front, but it's an independent system and not liable to Republic law. Chancellor Valorum negotiates with the system's royal family to allow a group of Republic judicials and a group of Jedi, led by Qui-Gon, to land on the planet. Their mission is to meet with the leaders of the Nebula Front, to try and find the group's offshoot extremist wing. But before negotiations can even begin, the Nebula Front fires on the Republic transports. One ship of judicials is destroyed, while the other transports land outside the Nebula Front's base. The Jedi fight their way into the base and become trapped. But they escape with the help of a group of Asmiran slaves. They capture the leaders of the Nebula Front, learn about Havoc's plot, and head off to Iriadu. On Coruscant, Ryloff Senator Ornfree Ta receives an anonymous message. With the Senate petition to tax the free trade zones, investors throughout the galaxy 
are pouring money into smaller trading companies in the mid-rim and the outer rim. The message asks the Senate Internal Activities Committee to look into one of those companies, located on Iriadu. Onfrita takes the message to one of the committee members, Senator Bail Organa of Alderaan. Organa is skeptical of the message, but says he'll have the committee look into it. At the summit, Havoc gives Cole the instructions on how to eliminate Chancellor Valorum. But something doesn't add up to Cole. Havoc's plan doesn't make sense. It seems way too complicated. Cole figures out that something else must be going on and confronts Havoc. When he does, suddenly Havoc's men draw their blasters and shoot Cole and his two lieutenants, Rella and Boiny. Rella is killed, but Cole and Boiny survive the shooting. After Havoc and his men leave, the two are able to find a med kit, stitch themselves up, and head out of the safe house to stop Havoc. At the summit, Havoc splits the assassination team into two groups. The main group is stationed on a rooftop across the street from the building to serve as spotters and a distraction. Inside the summit building, Havoc positions a sniper in the rafters and smuggles a new Bactoid battle droid among the Trade Federation's droid security contingent. The sniper is ordered to fire at Valorum during an upcoming orchestra fanfare, but he's told to intentionally miss the Chancellor. Havoc says the miss will signal to the battle droid to order the Trade Federation's security contingent to fire on Valorum's box. He says the Nebula Front wants it to look like the Trade Federation killed Valorum. The Jedi arrive on Iriadu and find the carnage in the safe house. Qui-Gon tells the others to rush to the summit to protect Valorum, while he and Obi-Wan chase after Cole. The mercenaries are able to sneak into the summit building disguised as injured war veterans to search for havoc, but Qui-Gon finds them first. Cole tells Qui-Gon about Havoc's plan and promises to help the Jedi find the terrorist. Qui-Gon sends Obi-Wan to tell the other Jedi about the situation while he heads off with Cole and Boini. Just before the summit begins, the Nemoidian representatives of the Trade Federation receive a page that there's been an emergency on their transport and they're needed. The Nemoidians excuse themselves just as the orchestra begins to play. Cole spots Havoc in one of the third-floor media suites, impersonating a hollow journalist. Qui-Gon enters the suite, disarms Havoc's guards, and confronts the terrorist. Reluctantly, Havoc tells Qui-Gon about the sniper in the rafters. Qui-Gon leaves Cole in the media suite to guard Havoc while he and Boiny ascend to the rafters to find the sniper. In the rafters, Boiny identifies the assassin. Qui-Gon and a group of Iriadu security advance to arrest him when the sniper fires, killing Boini. He turns and fires at Qui-Gon, but the Jedi blocks the bolt and severs one of the cables holding the catwalk. The noise in the rafters causes a commotion on the floor of the summit. Obi-Wan and the Jedi leap to protect Chancellor Valorum while the Trade Federation droids come to attention. In the media suite, Cole tells Havoc it's over. Valorum is safe. The Nebula Front has failed. But the terrorist smiles. 
who says I've failed, he asks, and then hits a button on the recording camera in the suite. The button activates a protective shield around the Trade Federation box. Suddenly, Cole realizes Havoc's real plan. The Nebula Front didn't want to assassinate the Chancellor. They were really after the Trade Federation. Suddenly, the droids draw their blasters. They turn and raise their weapons. The Jedi, the Chancellor, and the other representatives at the summit watch in horror as the droids fire, executing all the members of the Trade Federation trapped beneath the shield. In the aftermath of the tragedy at the summit, Senator Palpatine convinces a block of senators to vote for Valorum's proposal to tax the free trade zones. Upon the bill's approval, Senator Organa confronts Chancellor Valorum with the results of his committee's investigation on Iriadu into Valorum shipping and transport. The issue, according to Organa, is that the company is one of the smaller shipping companies in the mid-rim receiving subsidies from the tax. Valorum denies any wrongdoing, saying he removed himself from the company before his first term as chancellor. Bale says the committee is not concerned with the administration of the company. What they're concerned with is the method the company received its first subsidy payment in Arrhodium ingots. The story ends with the Trade Federation electing new leaders, all of them Nymoidians. After the decision, Viceroy Newt Gunray receives a transmission from Darth Sidious, congratulating him. The Sith says the Trade Federation needs to take action against the new tax law. When Gunray suggests blockading Iriadu, Sidious offers an alternative. He orders the Trade Federation to blockade Naboo, the home planet of the senator that led the tax bill's passage, Sheev Palpatine. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk more about Cloak of Deception. Spoiler alert, I really like this book. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But let me take a moment and recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Aftermath is the beginning of the story following the Battle of Endor. The Empire's in disarray. Now its remaining leaders meet on a distant world to plan a counterattack. How will the Rebellion handle the lingering Imperial threat while trying to start a new Republic? That's Aftermath by Chuck Wendig, the first book in the Aftermath trilogy. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about Cloak of Deception by James Luceno, a story of corruption and intrigue leading up to the events of The Phantom Menace. I said just before the break that I really like this book, and it's weird because I don't remember reading it before. I must have when I grabbed the book off the shelf two weeks ago I had clearly read the book before. You know, it's got that wear and tear on the spine and on some of the pages. I'm one of these people that I don't buy books used. I like to buy them new so that 
they look really nice on my shelf. I also try to read them in such a way to where I don't break the spine. I don't put a little crease in it. Now, I'm only successful maybe half of the time, but that's the way I like to try to do it. I'd clearly read Cultural Deception before. I did not remember reading it before, which is weird considering how much I like this book. And it could just be where I am in life right now. The book was published in 2002. At that time, I was 24 years old. Now I'm 44 years old, about to turn 45. And as I've said on the show before, coming out of the prequel movies, specifically Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, and Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, I was a little disillusioned at the time in Star Wars. Most of the books that I have not read before in Legends are those prequel-era stories. I just may not have been in the right headspace to appreciate this book the first time I read it. But it's got all the things in it that I enjoy. It's a fast-paced action story. It's got a mystery. It's got political intrigue. It's got shady characters making agreements in dark corridors of the Senate or in a dark cantina. It's got that whiz-bang serial adventure feel from A New Hope or the first season of The Mandalorian. I really love that kind of stuff. So I don't understand why I don't remember reading this book before. But regardless, if you like those kind of things too, I think you'll really like Cloak of Deception. One of my favorite things about the book is how James Luceno really makes Palpatine and Darth Sidious two different characters. Of course, we know they're the same character. They are the Sith Lord who's manipulating both sides. But you don't get that from this book. And of course, it's because it was published in 2002. Luceno wanted to help George Lucas keep that mystery with the audience until the big reveal, finally, in Revenge of the Sith. Now, of course, if you'd seen the original trilogy, you knew that Senator Palpatine and Darth Sidious were the same character. You didn't know the name Darth Sidious, but you knew Palpatine was the Emperor. And I'm sure the vast, vast, vast majority of people who watched The Phantom Menace and watched Attack of the Clones knew that Palpatine and Sidious were the same character. But the merging of the two characters into one in Revenge of the Sith was for George Lucas to reveal, not James Luceno. And I like the way he writes that in this book. He writes it as though they are two different characters working at cross-purposes. Both of them manipulating their own sides. Palpatine is using his political influence to manipulate Valorum into helping the Trade Federation defend its business while also angering the Trade Federation by proposing a tax on their shipping. On the other side, Darth Sidious tries to manipulate 
the Nebula Front into attacking the Trade Federation while also manipulating the Nebula Front against the Republic, appealing to their business sense. Attacks on free shipping routes would be unfair. I think it's written really well. For me, the main character in this book is Chancellor Valorum. I find it interesting how he's trying to navigate the murky waters of galactic politics. But he tries to do this by trying to appeal to everyone. He wants to make everyone happy. And of course we know, in real world politics and government, you can't make everyone happy. Valorum tries to do this in Cloak of Deception. I find his discussions with Palpatine fascinating. I do think Valorum has the best of intentions, but you can see where Palpatine is trying to steer Valorum in certain ways. He does it in a way where Valorum has to think it's his decision. Palpatine does that with the block of senators that he tries to convince to vote for the tax proposal. And every time one of the senators asks which way he's going to vote, he's noncommittal, saying that he will only vote the way Naboo wants him to vote. That storyline was my favorite in the book. The assassination plot storyline, though, also really fun. Captain Cole is a really cool character, in my opinion. I would have liked him to survive the book and go on into other things, but I understand why he was killed at the end. What I did find interesting, though, was how much of a foil Cole was for Qui-Gon Jinn. The way Luceno writes Qui-Gon's quest to bring Cole to justice borders on obsession at some points, in my opinion. I wonder if Luceno thought about Moby Dick when writing some of these things, that Qui-Gon Jinn was Captain Ahab and Captain Cole was his white whale. I mean, he had to. He absolutely had to. If you get a chance to read Cloak of Deception, pay attention to the parts where Qui-Gon is talking to the Jedi Council or talking to Obi-Wan Kenobi about how much he wants to bring Captain Cole to justice. Luceno had to be thinking about Moby Dick during some of those writing sessions, during some of his editing. It's an interesting aspect to bring to Qui-Gon Jinn's character, in my opinion, because what we get from him in The Phantom Menace, what we've gotten from Qui-Gon in canon stories, like Master and Apprentice, this obsession seems a little bit out of character. But then you go back and think about it. In The Phantom Menace, after he discovers Anakin on Tatooine, his mission to protect Padme to see her safely to Coruscant gets put on the back burner, in my opinion. It changes to making sure that Anakin Skywalker 
is trained to be a Jedi. I think you could view the scenes of Qui-Gon on Tatooine signaling to Obi-Wan about the boy he's found, manipulating Watto's chance cube so that Anakin is the one that he gets to take off Coruscant. And then his stubbornness in front of the Jedi Council that this is the chosen one, it borders on obsession from a certain point of view. And I wonder if that's how Luceno interpreted it, that that's why Qui-Gon is like that in this book. I know a lot of people say that if Qui-Gon Jinn had lived, that there's a good chance Anakin Skywalker may not have fallen to the dark side. Now, we won't know one way or another. I still have my doubts, but if Qui-Gon really does have this obsessive streak, this part of his personality, can you imagine how hard he would have tried to mold Anakin into the chosen one that he believed he was? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, Aaron... We saw the ghost of Qui-Gon Jinn speak to Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars during the Mortis arc. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I'm still unclear what exactly all those visions meant on Mortis. I'm still skeptical that that was Qui-Gon Jinn speaking to Anakin. I think Qui-Gon's ghost was speaking to Obi-Wan during that arc. I don't know if that was Qui-Gon speaking to Anakin. But I think that once a Jedi passes over into the spirit realm or wherever they go to become Force ghosts, I think they become more peaceful even than what they were in life. That they find a clarity in the Force that they were searching for while they were living. So what I'm saying is, if Qui-Gon would have lived to train Anakin Skywalker, I could see Qui-Gon being a pretty strict teacher to almost be like one of those pageant moms, constantly pushing Anakin to be better, to be this prophesied messiah that Qui-Gon believed he was. It's a great hypothetical. If you're sitting at home and you like to consider what ifs in Star Wars, this is one of those that, for me, would spring first to mind. I think it's fascinating to consider. But we'll never know. Well, it's time to wrap up. Thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the third season of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. If you have a question or comment for the show, you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. And also, if you got a really cool Star Wars gift over the holidays, let me know. Send me a picture. I love that stuff. Now, coming up on the next episode, 
I'm jumping ahead to the first novel following the end of Return of the Jedi, The Truce at Bakura by Kathy Tires. Join me again on January 20th. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.